Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to episode number 11 of Means of Creation, a show where we're interviewing founders and creators in the passion economy, people that are leveraging their passions and creativity to make a living. I'm your host, Lee Jin, along with Nathan Bechez, and our guest today is Joe Cohen, who is the founder of Universe, a mobile-only website builder. Long before social networks and blogging platforms existed, anyone who wanted to have a presence on the internet had to create their own website from scratch, which required learning web design and writing HTML. Probably every 80s slash 1990s child in here remembers creating their own personal website back in the day, perhaps on a hosting service like GeoCities or Angel Fire. Triggers some flashbacks for me. Angel Fire, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, with complete with flashing text and music that would play automatically. And thankfully, about 20 years later, Universe is now here to spare us from that process and that end result. Universe is a mobile app that helps users build their own website through a grid of drag and drop blocks. So it enables people to create personal websites, stores, blogs, portfolios, whatever you might want, all from their mobile phone. And today it powers about half a million websites and has roughly a million dollars in ARR. Um, Universe went through YC in winter of 18 and has raised over $17 million from investors like GV, General Catalyst, and Box Group. And today in this interview, we're going to talk to Joe about the inspiration behind Universe, why websites are still even relevant today in a mobile app era, disruption theory, as well as competing against Shopify. So without further ado, welcome, Joe. Thank you so much for being here today. Great to be here. Awesome. And oh, just a quick note for the attendees is that in the second half of the show, we'll bring up audience members to actually talk to us. So get your questions ready for us. I'd love to kick it off by asking Joe about, well, so last night I was browsing old news articles about Universe, and I came across an old TechCrunch article from 2017 about the idea behind Universe. And it quotes you as saying um, that it comes from the desire to turn phones into creative devices. The web is still this incredible platform for sharing identities, and there needs to be a mobile native way for creating for the web. So I'd love to unpack that quote from you. Talk to us a little bit more about this notion of the phone's potential as a creative device. Yeah, great question. And that article is from when we first launched. So we all have, so, so in 2020, we've got 5 billion people on planet Earth with phones. And these phones are connected to the internet, but they're not really phones, they're computers. And they are, in many ways, the first truly personal computers, right? Like in 1984, Apple came out with the Mac and the pitch around that was computer for the people, use a graphical user interface. And there was a lot of utopian sort of thought around that about the democratization of computing. And the truth is that most of that didn't really happen. Like computers changed the world, but they didn't do it in nearly the scale and impact that the original designers and architects had hoped. That really changed with phones because phones were the embodiment of that initial vision, which is like a computer for everybody, a computer that is human, that everyone knows how to use. And perhaps most importantly, but something that was not predicted in the 80s was a computer that's connected to every other computer, to connect it to every other human. And so a worldwide network, an internet. 
And these phones have changed every part of our lives. We're using them all the time. And in the process, they've made computing just a mainstream thing that we all do. And so the net effect is that most of the internet, call it 80% of the internet, is consumed on a phone. But it occurred to me that, you know, basically none of the internet is built on a phone. No software is built on a phone. At the time, no web pages were built on a phone. No apps are built on a phone. And so it was very obvious to me that that would change. If you had a platform that was the predominant computing platform, it would eventually become a read and write platform. Like it doesn't make sense for 80% of things on the web to be consumed on a phone, but to be created on a totally different device. The beauty of the internet is it's a two-way street. You have creation and consumption, read and write. You know, television is a one-way street. You just have consumption. But the difference between television and computers is that you can write as well as read. And so it was just very obvious that you'd have that on a phone. And I thought the reason why this was so important was that because the people who use phones were inherently more diverse because of the widespread adoption of them, if you enable those people to be builders, you'd end up with a much more diverse internet. And, and my belief is that, uh, and, and this is sort of borne out so far, that you'd end up with a more interesting and a more powerful internet as a result. So that's the high level idea. It's like, we've got phones, they are the universal computer, they, they need to be creative tools. And you know, the fact that, they, that these tools hadn't existed wasn't a function of them not being possible. I think a lot, at the time that we had launched, the idea of building a website and a phone was sort of a, a joke. It was like a laughable idea. And I, I realized that you know, there was a point in time where it was impossible to build a website on a phone because of the underlying technical limitations of phones. But those te technical limitations had been lifted. So the limitation is really a design limitation, a tool design limitation. And so that's where we saw the timing come into effect. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of how I see it. I was going to ask, I, I love that idea of creating more diversity on the internet through empowering more creation. It really harkens to the name of the show, Means of Creation, and lowering the barriers to entry and, and democratizing the means of creation, thereby getting more people to actually create. And specifically, I wanted to hone in on why you chose the web as the surface for creativity, why websites rather than for instance, creating something within an app. So today, probably most, most bottoms up creativity happens in closed user-generated content apps like Instagram or TikTok or Fisco, Facebook, et cetera. So why focus on websites for Universe? Great question. So when we started Universe, we actually were not focused on websites. Uh, Universe has had two lives before 2017 and after 2017 when we launched as a website builder. But the initial idea for Universe was how do we, the question was how do we empower everyone to build the internet? And it wasn't clear that the medium would be the web. In fact, in the beginning, I thought we're going to create a new web. And that new web is going to be built from the ground up for mobile devices. And it's going to leave a lot of the legacy behind and really embrace a lot of the new technology. And so you weren't creating a web page or an app you're actually creating this new thing called a verse, which was like a single page native experience um, that was shared inside of an app. And so that's actually what the first version of universe was. And what I realized was that there were a few things I realized. One is that, you know, 
something isn't really useful as a tool if its distribution is contained to a private network. Unless that network gets such scale that everyone's there and you can figure out how to bootstrap that. But if, you, if we built a really incredible creation tool and you could only share it on Universe and only other people on Universe could see it, that tool was inherently limited in, as a tool. It, it, was, it was sort of more of a content to the experience, but not a tool into itself. But the other thing was that, you know, the web, I really, I really come to appreciate the web. In, in, in a world where you've got companies like Facebook dominating the internet in these sort of closed ways, the web is the one open and free space online. And it is accessible from every network, from Facebook, from Google, from iMessage, from Instagram, from Snapchat, even from TikTok. And these larger companies are actually all bought into the idea of a neutral web. It sort of keeps them all in check. And so because the web has universal distribution, that is the killer feature. And that at the end of the day is the lure that attracts someone to create something, the ability for it to be in front of people. And so that's sort of why we double down on the web as a medium. And the other thing I realized was that, so let's compare apps, native apps and, and, and web pages. Like why would you create a, a web page over a native app? Well, think about how many apps you use in a day or a week. It's probably like 20 apps or so. And then think about the number of websites that you visit in a week. It's probably like several thousand. And so we're talking about like a thousand fold increase in the number of you know, experiences we're having in these various platforms. And what I realized was that apps are basically useful for things that you use on a recurring basis that require the immersive experience of the native tools. And web pages are really good when the primary feature you're looking for in the medium is distribution. So if you're primarily trying to get people to look at a thing, you should do it on the web. If that's the, the main thing. If you are trying to build the best user experience for some dedicated specialized experience, you should do it as a, a native app. And so for most individuals and most businesses, they don't have enough justification to create that daily ritual with an app of their own. And so the web is a much more natural place also because that web page can then be linked to from any other platform. So that's sort of how I looked at it. And, you know, I think that, I think that, that the web in that way is, is sort of underrated the fact that you you you, know, you can sort of have this sort of infinite reach there so that's a little bit of my th thoughts on that yeah totally and it reminds me of even like you know with tiktok in order to, they're obviously this really big network but I, I don't know if they could have gotten to be as big without being able to export video like video files natively transfer kind of the same way web pages do and so you know all sorts of new creation tools need to create for like open standards that can get distribution and there's lots of different ways to do that but yeah the web is like it, the cool thing about web is it's interactive like there's so much stuff you can build with it a video is just a video it's like you know it's like tv kind of right that's the big thing and the web as a medium is actually way more powerful than i think people had realized you know like in the early days of mobile there was this whole battle between native apps and 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 sort of web websites and native apps quote-unquote won but all the while, the web has just been getting better and better and better. And so, you know, if you use Twitter in the web on your phone, it's actually like 
pretty similar to the Twitter native experience. You know, the other thing I'd say is I think something that's unique about Universe is we sort of do both. You know, our app is not a web app. Our app is purely native. It's written entirely in Swift. Like it is a, a hardcore native experience. But the thing you're creating is a web page. So I don't think it's one or the other that's better or worse. It's just depending on what you're trying to do. Like if you're putting, you know, your shingle in the world to sell a product, you should be on the web. If you're building a dedicated tool for, you know, taking, you know, photos with great backgrounds, build a tool and an app for that. Yeah, I definitely agree that the web is underappreciated and it's amazing for all the reasons that you mentioned of being open and free. However, the, the battle that you mentioned between mobile apps versus the web has sort of played out in favor of mobile apps, right? So the recent stats, I think, is that 90% of consumers' mobile time is spent in mobile apps versus only 10% of the time is spent browsing the web on their mobile device. And I think if you break that down by e-commerce time, time spent shopping, I think it's even more balanced in favor of mobile apps. And so do you feel like in a way, like democratizing the means to create a website sort of rose against the current of what mobile users are actually doing with their time insofar as they're not spending much time on actual websites? Or do you think that it's, are you trying to sort of beat back the shift between um, mobile app versus web time? Or how do you think about that stat in general? I, I think, yeah. So a few things. One, I think those numbers are a little bit misleading because the web is often experienced through a native app. And so that doesn't, it's, it's, that doesn't show up. If someone's on Facebook, the most people just share articles on Facebook. Those articles are links to web pages. Same on Twitter, same on Slack, you know. And so that's a big part of the native experience is the web. Mm-hmm. And then I think the way of looking at this is not percentage of share it's not like web versus native because these things coexist and we need both it's actually is the size of the web growing just empirically like it's not about is it growing relative to apps it's just is it growing the answer is yes like the web is more vital and bigger than ever there's more web pages than ever before and the reach is far greater and there's more traffic flowing through google and the web is growing very fast on a year-over-year basis so that's sort of how I look at it in that way. And I don't think there's any sort of uh, alternative on the horizon for what the web does, which is sort of universal access and universal exposure. If you want to put something out into the world that is interactive, th- there's no better way to do it. That makes sense. I'd love to ask you about COVID and the impact that COVID has had on the business and growth in creators of un- on Universe in the last couple of months. Have there been interesting trends that you've seen there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, the, the big thing for us is that we have, so we've been, we were sort of riding a lot of these ideas before COVID and COVID came and was a bit of a tailwind. The first is general creation with computers. That's, we're seeing more activity with that. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, people are home, they're trying new things, they're not at their jobs. The second is more of an economic thing. So that's, you know, people have lost their jobs. They're starting new things. We've really leaned into that. So up until April, you could build a great website with Universe, but 
if you wanted to sell something on your site, you needed to use an external service like Shopify or Square Cash or PayPal. We have since built our own full-scale commerce solution. So that first launch is a simple payment gateway. But then we built out inventory management and support for all kinds of different products and sizes and things like that. And then most recently, actually yesterday, we announced uh, a complete service for shipping your products. Uh, so you know, we generate a label on the device and it's a full integrated loop. And that was very much influenced by what we saw happening with COVID. And it was, has been a virtuous cycle because we've been seeing amazing growth in our commerce platform that I think is very much sort of uh, a product of the COVID environment, but we've been feeding it. You know, we've been doubling down on commerce as an angle for us. Totally. The, com the commerce thing is super fascinating and obviously like, you know, there's like companies like Shopify are extremely hyped right now. I'm curious, like when you talk to people that are considering what to use for e-commerce, like, do you look at different characteristics or circumstances that those people may be in that make them more likely to find more value in a tool like Universe versus kind of a more complex, like incumbent alternative? Like what, what yeah, do you look for to really know that you'll be able to provide more value? I think there are two buckets of qualifications. One is sort of the type of person and how they operate. And the other is sort of more objective qualities of the business. So we'll start with that. Like if you are a business that's doing $10 million a year in revenue and you have 100 SKUs, you shouldn't use Universe today to build out your site. We're not, we're not there yet. We just don't have the tool set. You need to do what you need to do. And, and I think that more qualitatively, we like to say that universe is for makers. It's for makers of all kinds, whether it's people who make music, people who make fashion, people who make musical instruments, whatever it is. And it's not really for people who are selling other people's stuff. You could use it for that, but that's not our focus. Our focus is sort of empowering creators of all types. And so that's sort of one orienting factor. The other thing is, you know, who uses Universe in general? Well, it's people who have not been able to really click with any of the other products because they're too complicated, they're too fussy. Also, they can't really express their unique vision with them because they're locked into a template and these systems are right. extremely rigid. So if it's sort of a Venn diagram of like, is the size of what you're doing small and getting off the ground? And do you overlap with the kind of person who really jives with Universe and the way that our tool works? And then the way I just summarize it is like, Universe is for people who are building something from nothing. It's for sort of emerging creators. It's not for people who are sort of established and everything's working. It's, it's for the next generation, for people who are going to be build, building the future. Totally. The generational thing is super fascinating to me. I wrote a post about website builders that, that featured Universe in it a little bit called Complexity Convection. And one of the theories is like, it's kind of just generational. Like there is like, a wave of people that maybe came on to selling stuff on the internet in like 2007 or something like that. And at that time, Shopify was like super simple, right? And maybe, but now it's like you, you log in and it's probably, it's a very powerful experience if you have a lot of advanced stuff that you want to do. But like, if you don't need any of that stuff, cause you're just getting started, something like universe is like way better. But then the problem is a lot of times these companies sort of end up aging with their most successful users and growing in complexity with their most successful users, because that's sort of like the immediate incentive gradient that they're traveling. So like 
they can end up having a real drift in their position in the market over times. And sometimes they can kind of drift up and out because they just end up this like really large, like they, they support a small number of really large companies and, and they, they sort of lost sight of the original, like make it really easy thing. So I'm curious how you balance that because I imagine, you know, your most successful users are going to be pulling you in the direction of being more like Shopify and there's probably a trade-off there that you experience when making decisions about like, well, how does this work for, for new people, which is kind of like the core, the core of your mission. I'm curious, A, just generally how you deal with that and B, if there are any specific scenarios that have come up that, that are interesting on that. Front. Yeah, absolutely. So a few things. First of all, I read that piece. It was great. Oh, thank and you. I read it as almost like the product or software product sort of version of the innovator's dilemma thesis. And, uh, and that thesis is very true which is sort of the, the idea that, you know, you have an incumbent in some industry and then you have a nascent challenger who goes after the low end of, of the market and doesn't really compete with the incumbent because they have such a small subset of its functionality, but its simplicity and ease is actually like the value prop for it attracting a new demographic of customers. As that new company sort of grows, it starts to eat share from the incumbent and then itself becomes the incumbent and then is the cycle repeats and it gets disrupted by someone else. I think a few things. One is that you're right. Shopify was playing the role that we're playing now, you know, in it, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And it has evolved to the point where it's really not a great tool for someone who's starting out. It's, it's a great tool for you know, an established e-commerce business, but it really isn't. If you're doing under a million dollars a year in business, Shopify is just not a great tool for you to do it. And so we, we take that to heart. But the way I look at it is from a general perspective that I think that bloatware is not inevitable. I think that a tool can get more sophisticated over time, but not get more, more difficult to use. And what, what gives, like what makes that work? To me, that is what good design is about. Good design is about being able to express complexity when it's called for, but not to overwhelm when it isn't. And one of the nice things about designing things for a phone is that there is a natural limit to how much complexity you can expose at any one time because the screen is small and you just can't have that much stuff on it. And so what you end up doing is you start to expose complexity sequentially. And that provides a very natural constraint for progressive reveal of, of sophistication. And so that's the principle that we've used to design universe. It's the principle we've used to sort of make universe a lot more powerful now than it was when we launched, but it's not more complicated or harder to use now than it was when we launched it. But it's actually very hard. We think about this a lot. Like this is where I think you need to be a really, really good interface designer. It's like negotiating these things. I think Apple have done a pretty good job on this. Like the iPhone as a platform, if you think about it, is, you know, it's 13 years old and it's still pretty easy to use, but it's also much more powerful than it was. And I think one example of that is like in iOS 14, Apple finally allowed people to customize their home screens with widgets. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of people do this. But the default experience, like for my grandmother, is she's never going to have to know that widgets exist. They just happen, and they don't get in the way of her experience using her phone. And so I think that's a pretty strong example of how you sort of manage complexity 
when it's called for, but not sort of overload you know, the, the upfront user. I think an example where Apple has sort of dropped the ball is if you buy a new iPhone and you go through the launch experience of using that phone, the onboarding is like super convoluted and you know, there's lots of steps and it's just not a graceful new experience, whereas it would have been had you signed up early on. So when it comes to Universe, one example of this is like, we just added, I'll give, I'll give a, an example that's related to commerce. So when we first shipped commerce, it was really simple. All you needed to do was add a payment button to your site, put a price and name what you're selling. And I love that because it was like, bam, you put a price and it's live, you can start collecting money. But the number one requested feature that we had was like, I want to sell this t-shirt. I've got five sizes. Your system doesn't support sizes. So what I needed to do is make five buttons on my site for each size, one for each size. And so these are called variations and variations are handled by every e-commerce engine. And they're very technical and complex thing because it's not just about sizes, because let's say you have a shirt that has both sizes and colors. So how do you represent every permutation of that product? Because you now have a red size small, a blue size large, right? And you have this whole matrix. So our implementation for how we build support for variants, I think is like a representative model for our approach to this. We have not made the experience for just selling something without variants any more difficult. But if you do want to go and add variants, we made a really simple way of doing this and adding one variant is easy. Just add a size and we have a bunch of pre-filled options. And then if you add a second thing, it exposes the complexity of the, the matrix, but it's only after you've taken that step. Yeah, I, I also want to point out that it, it feels like in general, simplicity sort of comes at a cost. So, you know, I think Universe's pricing model for this commerce functionality is taking a 10% cut of sales, which is pretty hefty. It reminds me of the fact that Substack also also takes a 10% take rate of subscription revenue. And in both cases, in both of these industries, there's a lot of competitors out there that offer a much lower take rate, but are more complex to use. And so there's sort of a trade-off for the customers of, do I just pick something that's entirely much, much simpler to use than the alternatives, but pay more versus bear the upfront cost of doing maybe some custom development, but paying less. Yeah. Do you think that that 10% take rate model is something that you are going to maintain as a way to compensate for the fact that you are serving the long tail of creators who are smaller than the Shopify merchants? Yeah. So overall, we are figuring out uh, how we think about pricing. Uh, we're not dogmatic about it, but what we do know is that we are not competing as like people shouldn't choose universe because it's the cheapest option from a rates perspective. Like that's not why you should use our product. You should use it because it's a premium experience. And not only is it simple, Lee, it's also that we have basically, we've taken all the layers of the stack and integrated them into one experience. So Universe will get you a domain. It will support your inventory management. It will host your site. It'll give you tools for design. It'll help you build an email list. So we put all of these things into one bundle. And the other way I think about that is when you use a service like Shopify, yes, they charge 3% for a credit card fees, but they're also charging every time you want to pay out. They're charging whenever there's a fraud dispute. 
They're charging when you generate a shipping label. They're charging for every little item. Right. And we said, you know what? We're going to offer all of that. There's no additional fees. It's one flat rate and we include everything. And so we actually have a little bit of space to continue to add value within that percentage. So the numbers, will, we'll see how they evolve, but the high level principle is that we're not competing on price and we bundle a, a, lay, a stack of, of sort of layers. And then, you know, we're not nickel and diming. We charge one flat rate. We include all the things that you need in that amount. Yeah, totally. And it, it echoes, I think, the sort of like response that Substack would say about the 10%, which is like, as you grow, it's on us to like provide more value. Exactly. So if we're not, then you'll leave and that's fine. But like, if, you know, we want to keep you, then we need to whatever, like offer legal defense for your, if you're writing, you know, controversial posts that may get powerful people to sue you or whatever, <laughs> like Substack's doing that now for, for some subset of their writers. And I assume it's the subset for which the 10% kind of like makes that more, makes that easier to offer, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it incentivizes us to continue to strive to add value. And, you know, with something like shipping, which we just ship, we don't charge for it. It's included in the service for free. Every other service charges for it. And we are getting you the best rates on postage. So that's, that's something that we're doing to add value in that way. But, you know, I think that, I, I think, I think that overall, though, that's, that's the idea. Yep. I'm going to combine one of my questions with the question that I see in the chat here. So I know that when Universe first got started, part of the vision was basically to get distribution through being the link in bio in people's social profiles, like the Instagram link in bio for all of the, for someone's space, like personal website, a, a personal space where they could put all of their different social profiles and link to that in their social profiles. How has the vision changed since you launched versus now? That's one of the questions in the chat. And do you still serve that use case of the personal website? Yeah, absolutely. So the initial vision for Universe, like I said, was empowering everyone to build the internet. And that was from before we were a website builder. That was from when this was just a, a, a figment of my imagination. And that was like in 2014, 2013, so a while ago. And like I said, we had one pivot from this sort of new social network kind of thing into a website builder. When we first launched the website builder, it was for making single page websites. Those websites didn't scroll. You could only put text, photos, and links on them. There certainly wasn't any commerce. So it was really like a digital business card, something you would link to in your Instagram bio. There were two reasons why the product was so simple. One is that we were a tiny team with very little resources. Actually, when we first launched, it was just me. And two is that it wasn't clear in 2017 that there would be more of an appetite for creating on a phone. Like it wasn't clear that people would actually want to build sites with multiple pages on a phone, that they would want to sell things on a phone. And one of the things that we've learned is there's basically an unlimited appetite for what people want to do from their phones. And so we've just continued to feed that appetite. And so we push updates to Universe on a weekly basis where we're continuing to add value to what you can do with it. And you can really build any kind of website now with Universe. So you can build a portfolio site, you can build a store, you can build a blog. And, you know, people are, you know, you can do sort of whatever you want with it because it's a very versatile and flexible tool in a way that a lot of the incumbent website builders aren't. So that's sort of how, I wouldn't say the vision has changed at all. 
since the beginning. But the manifestation of that has changed and will continue to change. And I think our sort of absorbing commerce as a core use case for the product is a further iteration in, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I think I, I like to say that, like, I, I like to say that I think people, uh, when they start startups, they often think they think they have an idea. They're like, okay, I want to build this product that does this. And, and I think those products are often like solutions. Like we, we start with a solution, but I think that the most interesting things in the world actually start with a question. And that the point of the company is to answer that question. And then the answer to that question will actually change over time. So our question is like, how do we empower everyone to build the internet? And we have tried many, many answers to that. In the beginning, you know, our answers were pretty off and, you know, we're much more on now and we're continuing to sort of adjust as we go and get closer to that. And then over time, that answer will change as technology progresses. So for example, you know, Netflix is the canonical sort of example of a company who started with, you know, DVDs by mail and now is in the streaming business. On the surface, those are two, two completely different businesses, but they get into the same heart of the matter, the same core value proposition. So, you know, that's, that's sort of how I think about how I, I think about that. Yeah. Can you give some examples of like the most surprising um, or delightful examples of use cases or websites that have been created on Universe? Definitely. So I think the coolest part of Universe is how diverse the people who use it are and what they do with their sites are. And so there are a couple examples I could share. One more recently that we featured on our Instagram last week is a woman in New York. Her name is Kate. She, she is a chef and her day job is that she's a, a, a chef for a family. Um, but during COVID, she had a hankering for key lime pie. There's only one place in New York that really sells key lime pie. It's this place called Steve's in uh, Red Hook, Brooklyn. And Steve's was closed, so she started making her own, and it was incredible. She made a website for it, and now she has a, a regular business. The pie is insane. So if you're in New York, you should go order it. It's kateskeylime.com, all built with Universe. Um, but then we have things on the totally opposite side of the spectrum. Like there's a site called adamsgottastop.com, and it's basically a, it's a gas station that has like a market and is like this community like sort of space. And so that's another one. And then, and then on this whole other side, you've got a YouTube influencer who is making a fashion line and it's, it's super sort of avant-garde aesthetically and like, you know, it went viral. And so it's just, you know, a very wide range of, of stories and creators. Mm, very cool. It. How do you, I'm curious, like, you know, my experience at Substack was that someone would come on the platform and then of their audience members, some percent would be like, I could do that. And then they like, they, they do their own take on it. Right. Is that, does universe grow in a similar way where like, if I'm in the audience of this YouTuber who has the avant-garde fashion line, I'm like looking at the website and there's some way for me to see that it was made with universe. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Here's my path to like doing my version of this. Definitely. So that's, that's definitely a, one of the ways that we grow. And so what we do is for free sites, we, our product is very open for free. So you can basically build any kind of site, including a store with all the commerce tools, with shipping, with, with all of it for free. But we put a little sort of banner on your site that says created on universe. And that drives people who are looking to make something like that 
you know, to the app store, they can go do it on their own. So that's a huge driver for us. Um, and will continue to be because we're going to continue adding value to the free product. You know, if you're, if you're a pro user, we, you have the option to put a little sticker on your site and we have a few different options for how the style is sticker, but it says universe in it. And interestingly, a lot of our paid pro customers put the sticker on their site. Like, and so that, that we take to heart. It's like a sign that we're doing something well if people want to actively put that on their page. That's a good KPI, like percent of paid customers yeah. that have the totally. sticker on. Totally. <laughs> it's like, I'm a proud universe uh, customer. Yeah, It's a good uh, heuristic for like brand, you know? Yeah, right. totally. totally. People want to show off what they're using. Yeah, totally. Totally. I love it. Uh, awesome. Should we bring up some of the audience members to ask questions and discuss with us? Let's do it. I see yeah. Dan Shipper has a question. Dan, do you want to do you want to come up? And in the meantime, anyone can can raise their hand. I'm not exactly sure where the button is to raise your hand, but I but it's somewhere and you can press it. <laughs> Speaking of oh. designing uh, things to be simple yet powerful. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Dan, how's it going? Hello, can you hear me? Hey, yes. Dan. Yeah. All right. So I'm very, very happy to be called up. Little context here is jo- Joe and I are, are old friends. We went to school together, I guess, ten years ago. And I'm also an investor in Universe, so I'm uh, I'm a little amazing. Bit <laughs> yeah. So I have a couple. I guess I have a couple questions. I'll start with one that I put in the chat already, which is I just love listening to you talk about creators and making things and designing products and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's that's one of the things that has always compelled me about the person that you are. And I'm just curious, like, what are some of your inspirations for, for your mission? And, and also just like how you think about the world? Like, who are the thinkers, the builders, the designers? Like, if I want to think like you, who should I read? Great question, Dan. I think that most directly, the universe and, and the technology behind what we're, we're doing is inspired by a lot of the thinking that that came out of the sort of personal computer revolution going back to the 60s. And they're, they're, so quick history, computers were originally used for war, for the military. And there were these room-sized machines. The first one was created at Penn, where Dan and I went to school, called ENIAC. And they were, they were used for, 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 for the military. Eventually, companies started to use them. They were for tabulating data. So they were very much instruments of institutional power. That was what they were for. And so in the 60s, there was the counterculture movement happening in the Bay Area. And a core part of the counterculture was actually sort of anti-technology because they saw computers as part of Big Brother. It's similar to how people think of Facebook today, frankly. But there was this radical group of hippies who experimented with LSD and they were also like academics at Stanford. And they, they had this idea that you could actually miniaturize computers and that every individual on earth could have one. And that through that, you could have personal liberation, that you could have sort of freedom, individual agency through this machine. So it was a very subversive idea. And that idea was promulgated by originally a guy named Doug Engelbart. And he was one of the people that were involved. And and, and one of the core aspects of this whole domain was this notion that through computing, you could augment the experience of, of being a human. You can augment the intellectual process, the, the creative process. And so he wrote this paper called Augmenting Human Intellect. And it was about the, the, the computer being sort of this bicycle, if you will, for your mind, which is a, a Steve Jobs quote. But it, it came from that whole world. That's 
where the idea emerged. By the way, if you guys are uh, in the spirit of sharing readings, Stuart Brand, who went on to create this iconic book called The Whole Earth Catalog in the 70s, which was like a sort of manual for creating a new society. He, he was a journalist and he wrote a piece for Rolling Stone. It was called Space War. And in it, it was like, I think 1972 was published or something. He told the story of these academics at Stanford who were playing video games, the first video games, basically. And, and, and the whole idea of using a computer for playing a game was a crazy idea. But that's an example of where this culture comes from. Anyway, so it started in the 60s and 70s, blossomed into Apple Computer, Atari, all of these personal computer companies. Apple started to develop things like you know, different kinds of software, the, the Mac OS. There was an app that they built called HyperCard, which was really an inspiration for the universe. It was like a general purpose creation tool. And so there's a legacy of these kinds of tools and thinkers. Most recently, a guy named Brett Victor um, has continued this legacy and this lineage. So I'd say that there's this whole sort of expanding human intellect, creativity, academic lineage that goes back 50, 60 years. And there, there's tons of stuff. I'm happy to share more of it after. And that universe is a, a direct descendant. We've inherited a lot of that. That's the first thing. But I, I don't know. In terms of how I think, I pull stuff from way outside of computers. I mean, I think I, I've always been really inspired and learned from artists. And not just artists because they like make they make paintings, but artists because artists are people for whom their work is personal and it's a reflection of who they are. And I think that that's true for us as entrepreneurs in a lot of ways, or some entrepreneurs at least. And I think it's going to be increasingly true for more and more people. And I hope, I think progress would be a world where as many people as possible can be doing that. They can self-actualize in part through their work. And so I've always been really inspired by the stories of artists who've been able to do that. And then I, I think the last thing I, I'd say here is, you know, I think that, I think that every discipline, like, you know, there's that, that quote about how in college you learn how to think. I always thought that was a really sort of, I didn't really understand what that meant. But what I've come to realize is that different disciplines have different mental models. So if you're an engineer, one of the mental models is you take complex problems and the way you solve them is you break them down into their constituent parts and then you figure out the most efficient way to solve those, those parts. And then those ladder up into, into larger solutions. And so that's how like an engineer would approach a problem. A designer in many cases would actually question the nature of the problem. They'd look at it sideways. They'd ask, what are we really trying to do here? They wouldn't take it at face value. A philosopher would say like, what is the point of this thing? Or, you know, and so I think one of the things I like to do is to say, okay, what are the different hats I could put on to, to look at something and try and be flexible in how I do it and have this sort of meta, meta knowledge, basically, this ability to pull on different strings to, to sort of come up with something original. That's, that's sort of how I look at it. Love it. We very much also believe in more people becoming artists and creating things and self-actualizing through their creations. Totally. What is it? The dictatorship of the proletariat? When everyone gets to do everything that they want? Oh, yeah. This is, we were talking before the show about the name of the show, Means of Creation. I mean, that's, that's it, right? Like if everyone can, can build the stuff that they want to build because they have the power to and it works economically, then that's wonderful. That's an amazing thing for people to be able to sort of like, it's like anti-alienation. Yep. Anyone else want to come up here? If not, I, I can keep asking questions. 
Yeah, just raise your hand in the Zoom thing. But also, Dan, I think Dan maybe had one, one more. He said he had a lot. We'll see if we can get through all of them. I can certainly ask more, but I don't want to hog the mic. So feel free to demote me if you want. It's up to you. Lalit. How's it going, Lalit? Hi, I'm doing great. And thank you for the opportunity to ask this question. And thanks, Joseph, and all of you guys to helping me go back deep again, because I've been doing software development since 1984 in India. But it's interesting, Joseph, I like the problem you started solving. I just thought about that problem for a long time since App Store came in 2008, but never really active. <laughs> so I'm happy <laughs> you are solving the problem. And I can see the stuff you mentioned, how bicycle of mine, and thanks for sharing that paper. I knew about Stuart Grant from Steve Jobs speeches, but never knew because I started working in video games way back in India, Atari and other stuff. So I'm old, but I'm keeping myself young. Question, there is a lot of backlash happening against Apple last few weeks. And a couple of days ago, Epic founder and Jason Fried, everybody came up with this coalition. What are your thoughts about this app store is evil and this coalition of some of the successful founders. Any thoughts? It's, it's like philosophical and question like you mentioned, 56 years, I'm 51 year old and I've been lucky to be in technology and I'm an investor also in startup and VC funds. So what are your thoughts about these coalitions against the Apple App Store and free up App Store from Apple? That's a great question. So I would say that two things. One, do I wish Apple charged less than 30% of all my revenue? Yes, of course. And am I happy that DHH is fighting for it 100% and that, you know, the, the, the folks at Epic, that's great. We're a tiny company. We don't really have any leverage. So if they were going to fight for it, great, we'll, we'll take it. I will say though, I don't think people really appreciate how great the App Store really is and what it has opened. Like the idea of regular people downloading software was just not a thing before the App Store. And they've enabled that at like a billion person scale. Also like we get to build for iOS devices and we know the quality of those devices. They're amazing uh, pieces of, of hardware and the software is amazing. And so, you know, that, we get a lot from Apple in terms of opening up a market, in terms of the tools that they built, in terms of how relentless they are with their product development. So I don't think Apple gets enough credit for that. I also don't think that they're evil in any way, shape or form. I think that, that that's just not, that's, I don't think that's a legitimate point. I do think, however, it is interesting that, you know, Apple 20 years ago was on the brink of going out of business. It was this sort of rebellious, irreverent uh, minority company, and now is the biggest company in the world. And I don't know, I think that's a tough position to be in, in a lot of ways. Like, I think, how do you negotiate that upstart challenger mindset that might be, you know, oh, we should charge 30% because that's what we're entitled to with the more diplomatic statesman-like position that I think being the number one company in the world perhaps requires. I think that's a, a, a difficult situation to be in. 
Yeah, it's like by definition, if you're the most viable company in the world, you cannot be a challenger anymore because there's like literally no one left to challenge. <laughs> Just by definition. Right. Um, cool. I see Dave has a question. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. I see Dave has a question in the uh, Q&A. Dave, do you want to ask it live or we can read it for you, whichever you prefer if you're not in a spot where you can, where you can talk? I'll press the allow to talk button prematurely just in case he wants to unmute. Yeah. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hey, um, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. So Joseph, my question was around just sort of your longer term vision. Do you see a universe becoming more of a more social, you know, sort of like a more modern version of say MySpace where everybody has their own page and then connect to each other through the app? Or do you see it continuing as more of a tool like a website builder like card or something like that? So our orientation today is to be the best possible tool that we can be to put something out into the world through the web. One of the number one requests we get from our users is that they want more people to come to their sites because they made something awesome and they want more people to see it. And we think we can help them do that. And we think that we can help them do that uh, by you know, creating a destination, creating some kind of network. Uh, it's not an immediate thing for us, but it's definitely very interesting. I'd say the big difference for how we would approach this versus how other social networks would is that we are not an ad-driven business. So if we were to approach this problem, we would think about it not from how do we create something that creates value for us, but how do we create something that creates value for our users? What would a network look like that was actually value add? That is possible. It's not done because the business models don't align with it. But I think that's a really interesting sort of way of thinking about building a network so we have nothing to sort of share beyond that in terms of, of details, but very interested in it. It will be a part of the universal story, but we're gonna do it in a way where it gives you power instead of taking away power. Like, you know, we, we like to think that, you know, very few tools, and well, very few things that we interact with on the internet right now are actually empowering. They're mostly sort of exploitive. And we don't think that that's inevitable. We think that you can actually build tools and software that's fundamentally aligned with its users. And that's ultimately a business model question. So I think that the number one determiner of like how a company will behave and evolve is it's how, it's, how does it make money? And I think for us, we charge a subscription for our service. We are incentivized to add value to our creators because they pay us. And so that's, that's how we look at it. I'm curious, I have kind of a follow-up on that. Like, I, I definitely love the goal of helping drive discovery without taking away power from creators, but I'm a little bit unclear. I mean, maybe one way to do it would be to still power discovery, even if they left universe. Cause basically if there's a bundle between like, if I become reliant on traffic from a source, let's say Substack was really good at sending traffic to our articles, the same way that YouTube is really good at sending traffic to videos. It's kind of hard to not be on YouTube. And so there's the benefit of like, lots of people will come watch my video, but then there's the drawback of like, if I want to upload videos elsewhere, they're like not going to get views. And so I have to kind of keep uploading to YouTube. I'm curious how, how you might be able to sort of thread that needle where you, where you can build software discovery in a way that's like less, you know, sticky, I guess. In the spirit of identifying questions with four answers, I don't, we don't have an answer yet. That's just the truth, but we know the principles. And I think that data portability is one element of it, but I don't think that's the only reason why networks are exploited. I think that a much more pernicious, that's sort of the, 
the reason why they're exploited for creators, but they're also heavily exploited in many ways more so for the consumers. Like the whole idea that we want you to spend a lot of time in a place. I, I just think this is theft at a scale that we've never seen before. You know, time is our most precious commodity and sort of totally invisibly Facebook is like taking more and more of our time. And I think that's, I just think that that's pernicious and I think that it's exploited. And, and then, so I think that's a little bit how I look at it. Totally. Cool. Maybe we can address the last question by Tyler that's in the chat, which is empowering mobile users. And his question is like, do people really want to build websites on their phone or are they doing it because they have to, or it's, it's hard to believe anyone serious about design and creation truly wants to use a small screen and touch only interface for serious creation. How would you answer that, Joseph? I think that, that I think that Tyler's point is a thing that we heard, we've heard from day one. And it's actually, it's very, I think tricky for us as people in the tech industry, because the idea of doing something sophisticated like building a website on a tiny screen seems, seems like absurd. And, but what we've learned is that actually for, for most people these days who use a phone, use a computer, if you ask them where they'd want to do this, they would choose their phone. That's like obviously where they'd go to do it. In the same way that, for example, they would go and make a video and edit a video on their phone, or they would make a, a song on their phone, or they'd even write a book on their phone. So we're seeing, you know, I think Ben Evans wrote this amazing piece a few years ago. It was called like creation and consumption. And the, the, the premise of the, the point of the piece was that, you know, people often think about phones as these sort of consumption devices and not these creative tools and desktops as these creation devices. But the truth is for most people, desktops were never a creation platform. Like there was no creation platform for them. Like they use computers for email and browsing the web. They don't, use Photoshop, they don't write apps. And so mobile actually became their creation platform as their sort of primary interface. And so we slot into that ecosystem in a very natural. And so for our customers, of course they would build a website on their phone. And so they find us because they type in the app store website builder. And that's, that's just how it works. Also like we get to benefit from that whole ecosystem of other creative tools. So there's so many apps now that help you make assets for Instagram, for TikTok, and you can now use all of those assets, whether it's a logo or some kind of image to build your site. So we're, we're a major beneficiary of the thousands of, of apps that exist on, on iOS. And the last point I'd make is that it's really not about phones. It's about the fact that phones allow you to build an interface that is far more human than using one with a keyboard and mouse. So with Universe, you do it with your fingers. You're touching the screen. It feels like you're playing an instrument. It feels like you're painting. It's, it's a much more organic, sort of intuitive experience. And the whole idea of the design is to get you into a state of flow. So when you use a Squarespace or Wix, as, as, as capable as those tools might be, no one describes them as fun or enjoyable or creative. You know, at best, they're a chore. They're something you need to do. That isn't true with Universe. People love using our product. And one of the cool things about it is that in traditional sort of design and development tools, you have a staged process where you conceptualize something, you design it, and then you either build it or hand it off to a builder. In Universe, you're doing all three of those things at the same time. 
because as you're thinking it through, you can just do it. You can just make it and you can play. And so, you know, I'll leave it on this, but like tools, the name of the podcast is about means of creation. I think we all like tools a lot. And think about a tool for creating music, right? In, in the real world, not in software. What do we call those tools? We call them instruments. And how do you interact with an instrument? You don't use an instrument. You play it. You play an instrument, right? And I think that creative tools with computers can use a lot more play. They can be a lot more like instruments. And so that's really the spirit from where we come from. And that vision will be larger than any one device. Love it. What a, what a, what a great mic drop to end on. <laughs> that, they, they absolutely should be more like play. But we're, we're, I think we're out of time. Lee, do you want to do the yeah. wrap up? Yes. Thank you, Joe, so much for being here today. This was really enjoyable. I had a ton of fun. I love how this conversation wound its way between computer science history and the open web and playfulness versus utility. So I got a lot out of it. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. And thank you so much, Joe, for coming onto the show. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, well, have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.